My name is Tina Evans, and I'm here today with Orlando Miller. Today is August 29th, and we're here at the New Lost Library for the Our Streets, Our Stories project at Brooklyn Public Library. Our Streets, Our Stories is an oral history project focusing on the East New York neighborhood today. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about where you're from? Uh, I'm from Brooklyn, East New York, um, and this neighborhood only a few blocks away. Um, I've lived here for a very long time, most of my life, in fact. Um, my first memories is um, growing up in Cypress Hill Projects Development. Um, and the a neighborhood was a lot different back then. Um, it had um, keep off of grass signs. <laughs> you, you know, you couldn't walk on the grass. It was very nice. Um, the community was a little more mixed back then. Um, the, the outer streets were definitely mixed. It wasn't um, as predominantly African-American or Caribbean as it is right now. Um, it was actually some Caucasian and, and Spanish, most in that area. Oh, yeah. and then, that was probably 70-something, <laughs> in the 70s, um, in the late 70s or mid-70s. It was like that. Okay, I went to the schools here in this neighborhood, um, public school PS202, and then I went to the public school IS218 when it was only uh, middle, it was a junior high school, so it was only um, seventh and eighth grade, and then after that, it went off to high school, which was in Franklin, Cayman, a little further off from the neighborhood, but still close enough why it was the Stone High School for the area. Despite what people consider the projects today, back then, it was like a safe haven, especially for a young person. Um, as a young person growing up, you know, you, your parents will not let you go out of their sight. You can't just go out and play. But in the, in the building development, um, on your floor, there's another, seven other apartments on that same floor. And you know, the adults would talk to each other. So as two adults would open their door and talk, the young people, children, you know, Y'all can play with each other right there in the hallway. Um, you know, your toys on the floor and things of that sort. And you know, it was a you, you definitely had friends because they were right next door. There was always people to talk to. In fact, there was always people around. So there was always someone to interact with. Define games that you want to play, like Skelly or old game you used to play on the floor, or touch football or tackle. Um, stoop on the front door, you know, on the front of the project development. Um, it was a game that we made up, um, state ball or, you know, baseball. It was always a group of people at all times to actually interact and play with. Um, that, at that time, it was, seemed to be a lot more safer, so it was more open to allow the kids to do that. What was a stoop game? <laughs> okay, stoop is the, um, which is probably not what's supposed to do, but uh, basically, in front of the building, you know, they have the, the metal doors that you can go in and then you walk out, maybe it was about a good four feet, and then there was a little drop down, which was a stoop that you walk in to step into the building. So, the, and in front of the buildings were always these wide square things where the dodgers were on one side, so we just made bases out of it. The first corner was first base, 
that the back gate was second, and then the other corner was third base, and then the stoop is home. Pretty much baseball created from nothing. Just have it, all you needed was just usually a spalding ball, but if you couldn't spoil, afford a spalding ball, you pick whatever ball you could find. And the objective is to take the ball, throw it on the ground, I guess what most people would know it as a sidewalk, you know how a sidewalk steps up. You want to hit it on the edge of the sidewalk so that the air, the ball can fly through the air like if you hit it with a baseball. And then we'd be pretty much playing baseball on the stoop. What was the costumes? Oh, well, I mean, I used to live in Cypress. I used to live in 45 Fountain Avenue. So that's on between Hegman and, um, and Linden Boulevard. So I was in that area. So 45 Fountain Avenue. However, with Cypress Hill development, the buildings become, the, the buildings take up like four city blocks. So it's not quite a cross street, but those are the ones that would be on the outside of the development. And what kind of stores was around? Um, it's funny, the stores have changed so much um, in time. Um, from when, when we were little, when I was younger, there was things like Sunny and Dell which is no longer in business. Oh, if it is in business, it's no longer there. And there are two places that I remember. Um, a place called Fletcher's, which is ironic. It was an older gentleman who, oh, pretty much, I believe it was a, a, a billiard, a pool hall. And as time changed, it became a video game, you know, those big square video games that set up. And, and then, you know, uh, it evolved again to like a, a little club hangout. Um, even though, and with, Places like Fletcher's or um, Sunny and Dale and the corner stores, which at that time was not quite the bodegas that we're used to. <laughs> you know, it seemed like that all kind of died out. Uh, not died out because the stores and things are still there, but the people in those businesses are no longer in those places. So, and Fletcher's is a, um, a man from the community, a black man from the community, things of that sort. Now, in this place, and that's just on the other side of Cypress Hills, is um, a laundromat. Um, the uh, now is a, a bodega, a, a Spanish bodega, which has been there for a very long time. Um, Chinese restaurant, <laughs> which is a place it used to be. Um, and now, after I guess around the seventies and eighties, the Spanish bodegas was the dominant fact. Um, even today, you would see there's a strong Spanish um, enterprise in, in, in this area. Uh, if you look at the, a lot of the corner stores, um, the hair salons, the um, the other little business, the clothing, the cleaners. Oh, the cleaners, yeah. Um, and also on that, the um, there's an Asian feel from the um, cleaners and the um, restaurants and things of that sort. And um, now um, I'm looking for the right word. Um, the Eastern Indian as well, and a lot of the stores there that's, that's coming in. And it seemed like, I guess around the 90s, 80s, they had more, a little more of a Caribbean influx as well, um, especially for the restaurants and things of that sort. And a lot less of the soul food restaurants and things have died out as well. I don't know, it was like, it was like a trigger. Yeah, I guess in, in, in that time, uh, there was a lot more African-American owners, and there was actually some white owners still there as well, and I guess uh, over time, things have changed, um, 
I can't explain why or my situation, but it seems as, as it has changed. But yet, the, um, a lot, it's good that a lot of the Spanish owners have stayed, you know, for a long time, or they just switch ownership, especially a lot of the bodegas. It's, it's the same store, but, you know, the ownership has changed, but it's still Spanish owned, which is kind of cool. What about your business? What made you start uh, a business in this area, in this community? Oh, um, two things. I was never an A student. So I wouldn't get the, 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 the choice jobs because, you know, they want to hire the best and the brightest. Um, so um, growing up, I was that kid in school who, I, 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 again, I wasn't the A student. I had teachers tell me some terrible things like, you're never going to graduate. You're going to be in jail and trouble and things of that sort. So, but luckily, there's always one or two good people in the community and things of that sort that help out. And my teacher, I was in a resource room and I needed more help and finishing my projects or my schoolwork. And she was like, are you going to college right now? I was like, I don't know. I didn't bother taking the SATs, still haven't. And so she's like, you should go to college. So um, she's like, I'll enroll you. And she took me to Queensboro Community College and she enrolled me, no SATs, no none of that kind of that stuff. And I went there, I did better in college than I did ever did in high school. And I took accounting and I, you know, ironic that first year, I, you know, you had to take all those remedials classes because my grades weren't where they should be and only had one accounting class. I got an A in accounting and I was struggling to remedial. So how was that? It's like, hold on, you do the professional thing, great. <laughs> the basic stuff have issues with. So that was one aspect of the reason. I didn't want to compete with the A students. I didn't think I would be able to. The second, um, I had to work my way through school. So, you know, um, even though it was only um, city school, um, CUNY, which is probably the least expensive way to go to college, I still had to <laughs> pay to do it. So um, I had to have a job um, during high school. I worked in Young World. Um, during um, college, I worked as well, you know, um, security, different jobs, just so you can keep things going. And I worked in the college, in college work study in the payroll office. So in doing that, um, do the work process, I joined something called AmeriCorps, because they will give you at that time, $5,700 to go to school, great. So I used that, but what they put me in a place called PSA, which is a public high school in downtown Brooklyn Hicks, uh, on Hicks Street. And there I worked with the YMCA, and I worked all day through the school and then in the YMCA at the evening time. They trained me how to work with children, do different things there. And uh, eventually the person who was my boss, she was in college as well. She was trying to finish up. She said, it's getting too hard. The job was getting too stressful. So he said, Orlando, would you want to take over the director's position? And I was like, I'm here to work. Whatever you say, I'll do. And so I did that. And then when the summer came, they said, well, you want to run our summer camp program? And I said, whatever you say, I'll do. And in the process of doing that after that year, um, my mom was trying to work. She was working in the house at a, with a family daycare program as only six children. And I was like, hold on a minute. I just did this for the YMCA with the hundred and something kids that they have. We can do it ourselves. And the year after that, we started the, after the summer camp program, which was our first thing that we started. And it worked well. And right from the summer camp program, since those same children were in the community, we took them on as well in the after school program. And it's been running ever since, almost kind of by mistake. It's just because I did what I had to do to get by the program started and I think 
it was good for me because again, I was not the A student. I went to the schools in this neighborhood. I understand the, um, the problems that the schools have, the, um, the lack of preparation that some of the schools have um, done with, and, and it's not the teachers, the schools, it's a situation that's in our community and with the education system as a whole in, in New York as well as the country. Because if you look at the, um, the Common Core standards and what happened last year with them and when they rolled that in and how all the students across the, the city did so badly, um, you know, I'm a, I was a product of that. So I can understand the students who were coming up. I was from their neighborhood. I understand what they were going through. I've been to their schools and I was able to make good connections with the schools because I've been there, I knew them, um, and with other people in the community that helped my business grow. What was the name of your business? The name of my business is Our Last Name, London Play School. And it was simple, we just took our last name <laughs> and put Play School on it. And, but our, but our goal is, uh, the, the, the desire of my heart and our goal is we want to inspire and motivate and build self-esteem. Because um, when I worked at PSA, which was amazing, and, and in college work study at Queensborough Community College. And Queensborough is in an area, a, a, a very Asian area, and they would have the universities like um, St. John's and other schools come there to tell those high school students, you need to go to college. And I'm like, these kids are going to college if they like it or not. <laughs> college was not a question. They were going, but they would have the fraternities and things come in that, you know, take them on a college tour of, of those different schools. And some, it, every now and then they might bring them to Queens, Borough, it was a two-year school. They took them to like St. John's and the other four-year schools. And, but here in East New York, where I was from, is now the kids who they need to convince to go, they didn't bother with. So um, my, my, my goal is to inspire, motivate, and build self-esteem in you um, and try to meet some of those. You can't want something that you don't know exists. You know what I mean? If you don't know it exists, what, what can build a fire or desire under you to know that it's there? So I feel that, you know, I was put in a place in time where I can do that. I can tell them about school, different activities that they would probably not know that they can fall right into. Like, as my coming up in school, it, was, it wasn't a fun thing. I was bad at school, so why would I want to go? But um, when I went off to college, and like I said, I did better in college than I did in high, in high school, I took up things like fencing, um, Tai Chi sword, you know, the martial arts, the, um, a whole bunch of different outrageous weird things that would never come into my community. You know what I mean? They, they just was not there. I did not know exist. You know what I mean? So, you know, if I don't know it exists, I can't try it, why would I do it? But if I can introduce other people, other students, young people to these things that they might or might not like, but is something that might get them inspired. They have a reason to go to school. They have a reason to, to, to aspire for more. It's amazing. <laughs> Inspirational. Have yeah. you have any success stories from your students? Oh man, I have a, a few success stories. I had a, one of our, our older students, his name is Shamik. I don't know if I'm supposed to say his name, but I'm going to say his first name, sorry. <laughs> um, he came to us with developmental disabilities. Um, and it always surprises me. Um, people whom the world may write off as incapable sometimes can surprise the world in great ways. Um, because of his, his disability, 
he would stick to certain things. Just like with people with autism, they would they have stem things that certain things that they lock in on in their home. Well, um, my dad worked for Amtrak, and we run a family-owned business, so Shami knows him. He was in love with trains since he was little. He came to us when he's about, I guess he's about three years old, in love with trains. This young man was in love with trains from back then. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive those trains. I'm going to drive those trains. And I told you about his disability. He's probably with school. Shami works for Amtrak, the same as my dad worked now. And... If he couldn't just, it took a long about way to get there, but he's there. He, he, he lives in Maryland by himself with his developmental disabilities, um, but he, he found a job. He's not driving the trains right now, he's just a car cleaner, but he has a full-time job with Amtrak. Perfect benefits, you know, his own apartment, even with his disabilities, he's self-sufficient, you know what I mean? We have tons of students who are in college, which is, is a great thing. Um, one of my other students, I don't know if I'll say it, him and his three, him and his two sisters, he was another one who had problems with um, his academics. He was far behind, because you know, not everybody, we're all equal, but we're all not born with the same skills or, or blessings. So his academic skills were were rather low. However, um, through the process of working, I mean, he became, he was all, their whole family were big people. He's a really big boy. <laughs> but um, he wound up um, going off to school and we took him back to work in the summer youth program with us and then working with the summer youth program. He graduated from a school in Pennsylvania. And now being academically challenged, he graduated from a college in Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? And and two, they came back to work for us. They were in our program, through our after-school program. Then they came back to work with us in Summer Youth. Another successor, one of my staff, she came to us through um, Summer Youth program, and we hired her. I just knew she was going to leave because she was in college. Um, she's, she's already finished college and a certified teacher. She took the test, she's passed, and she's still with us. I'm happy, I give thanks. But I, I figured she would leave because as a small business, I can't afford to pay her what she's worth. But I'm glad she's still there pouring into our students. And just Friday, we had a, we had a teacher, a dance teacher come in. She owns a, a, her own dance company, and they put on some awesome shows. But she was willing to come in to work with me through different relationships that I've developed. And she worked with our children. Again, something that our children would not get a chance to experience. So she introduced um, different types of dance, which probably is not the norm for our community. And she did it with the boys and girls. And we put on the show afterwards. The parents was, was, was blown out. I mean, the, the show went well. You know, the, the principles that she brought in, also in my program, we say our grace before we eat. We, we have certain principles that we know. The Ten Commandments is up there. Um, we, we pray before every, um, the, uh, every dance class and things of that sort. And you know they were all the dancers were, were was 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 Christian music of some kind, and you know so the parents loved it. The principals were there, and you know it was inspiring. So we have, I had a lot of success stories, but this some of my biggest success story. I had a student, a young man. He was he's eleven, no he's ten, he's ten years old, and again he's a very big boy, almost my size, and he could not tie his shoes. I don't know. 
tying your shoes is a rite of passage, especially for a young man. Not that to be chauvinist, but it's a point, eventually, you want young men to be heads of household. And being heads of household, you need to lead. And if you're not competent in the basic skills, you cannot lead. Even if you want to, other people will take the lead. We found out because we were on a trip going somewhere, and, and he has two sisters and a little brother, and the little brother's also in that same issue, can't tie shoes, little things that they can't do yet, and the key word is yet. Um, we were on a trip somewhere, and his shoes were untied, and we stopped, you know, untied his shoes, and it was kind of him and her untied his shoes, and his sister was like, you know what, can I do it for him? No, he's a big boy, he can do it for himself. And then after a while, he couldn't do it. Okay, no problem. You know, one of the staff took it, they did it. Um, one of my lady staff tied the shoes. And I was like, we can't have this. So, by the end of the summer, not only he was able to tie a shoe, but he can tie a tie as well. Because all of the guys in my program, we have something called dress up day. We take them out to Applebee's. We, we exercise our principles, our um, manners and etiquette in, in public settings. And we, it's called dress up day. And so all my young men had to wear a tie, but they had to learn the tie. I gave them the ties. We taught them how to tie it. And they can tie a tie. So not only this young man can tie a shoe, but he can also tie a tie. It sounds like you're meeting such a, uh, you're creating the rich environment for the community, but you're also meeting a need with, with the children that you uh, teach. I wanted to know, um, during the time when you founded the business, were you kind of like the only uh, center that children can come to to learn in East New York, or was it? Uh, was it just an opportunity that you felt that you need to do? Like, what, what is, was this something that you found that the community was lacking? It is ironic. When I first, when we first did it, it was just a means to the end. It was just something to do. But again, I was in college just trying to pay to keep going through. <laughs> and, and, and it started just as something else to keep going through. After I started, I realized that you know, a lot of these, some of these students that I got, I just, they were like me. They weren't good at certain things. They couldn't do basic things like reading. Some of them haven't read a whole book. And, and too much of the world take it for granted. Even being here at this library, we assume that these children have read books their whole lives. You know, there's a bunch of children who have never read a book from cover to cover. And, and, and even though it doesn't sound like a big deal, but there's so many in this community that does that. Um, and some of the statistics or something I've read, they say in wealthy households, you'll find books. And low and poor income houses, you'll find videos and movies. And there's a reason, because they don't do that. No one, there's no one to model it for them, so the books are not available. And if something is, doesn't exist in your life or in your surroundings, how do you know you should go after it? And then when you do pick it up to do it, it's hard. It's not easy. And then if you put a book next to a, a, a tablet or a video game, they just don't compare unless you build a desire for the book. Because books have everything in this world somebody have already written down in the book. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, you might can tweak it and change it to a newer style of thing, but it's already there if, 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 if you want it. But if you don't know that they exist, or if you can't pull out the, the riches or the diamonds in there, just like Africa is a great, is a very wealthy nation, but outside sources have the ability to come inside and, and dig and find their natural resources and take it and take it out of Africa 
and misuse it, you know, you know, for their own gain. Same thing with our students. If they can't dig for the resources because they don't have the skill, the talent, or the knowledge of it, then they wind up being lost and misused or mistreated by an outside source. Like they build prisons prepared for their um, grades and then ensure a 90% um, um, population rate. How can you ensure that you want to fill the prisons by 90%? Well, if we miseducate them or we let them just go astray, there'll be nothing else for them to do but go here and employ us and keep us wealthy. So, you know, it, it, as, I, as time went on, I realized the, a lot of these, to get back to your question, were like me, they, they couldn't do certain things and they felt, sometimes they felt bad about it or they tried to hide it because no child want to be the, the, the dumb child. I'd rather be the bad child than the dumb child. You know, I mean, I'd rather cut up in school that people know me as being silly and I can't read or I'm not good at this, you know, so. And, and realizing that, I was able to meet their need in a way where it was like, it's not embarrassing, is not calling you out. And once you start to do something and succeed, it feels good. And that's all you need to know that you can. I always say, the best thing that college did for me, my first two-year degree, was prove to myself that I'm just as good as everybody else. That was the biggest thing that college, graduating from college from my first degree, it just proved that I'm just as good as everybody else. I can do anything that they can do. Because I was under, uh, I was misled, as Malcolm X would have said. Well, um, can you remember about, or uh, what comparison can you draw now from, I guess, the schools that you went to? Like, are the schools set up different? Has the neighborhood changed drastically? The, the um, oh, um, one big problem um, that I had in my time that they don't have today mm-hmm. is family structure. In my day, um, I mean, there were single family households since the beginning of time. That's going to always be. And, you know, there was the thing of homosexuality from the beginning of time that will always be. However, today is, 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 is prevalent. And it's, it's promoted as not only okay, but this is the norm. When it's not the norm. This is not how it was meant to be. I mean, everything on most mammals, uh, most mammals on earth are family-oriented creatures. I mean, they take care of their young. All other mammals, how can humans be made differently when we're the highest thing on, on, on the planet? But anyway, um, the family structure is different, and we have younger parents than we used to. I mean, it's almost unheard of to have a 25-year-old with no children. You know, if you're in the dating world and you find people, 25-year-olds without children is amazing, especially young black men. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, the parents are younger, and being younger you have to do things a lot quicker. So if you have a child that's 17, 18, 19, there's some living that you haven't done yet. And then your child is growing up with you not knowing and they not knowing, and then they're put into a school system where the teachers assume these people have problems and then these people don't know how to behave, these people are not taught principles. And even if that's so, it's still something for you to do is a way you can help them out. And the, the school system has become lax. Teachers in my day wore ties. Teachers in my day, they dressed up when they went to school. They, teachers in my day were respected, like teachers in today are not respected. 
the, the, some of the teachers look like students. Um, some of the teachers speak like students. And I know you want to reach them, but there should be a level of respect always kept. You know, you should give them always something to aspire to. You know, if, if you're walking in the street saying, yo, what's up, homie? Oh, that's my man. And with the teacher, and the teacher's doing that, then my behavior is okay. You know, if, if, if I know my teacher talks about this crazy thing like um, um, Shakespeare and, and, and Beowulf and old English, he's kind of weird, but you know, then he says, you know, there's something in him that I don't, I'm not really digging, but you know, the teacher knows that and maybe I'll learn that one day. Not to be on the same level. You know, a problem can't, uh, Einstein said, a problem can't be solved on the same level as created. So if you go down to their level, you can't help them come up. Okay, so um, what would you like the future generations to take away from this incident today? Okay, if, if anything, no matter where, don't, don't let your present situation determine your future outcome. Because wherever you are, you could be in trouble, you could be in prison, you could be, you couldn't, you cannot be able to read it all. Um, gifted hands, um, Bill Carson, his mother could not read it all. But yet, she created one of the most intelligent brain surgeons and lawyer. They don't know about his brother. A lawyer as well, because he's not as famous as Bill Carson. Um, um, she couldn't read, but she made those boys do two book reports every, every, every week, consistently. And when he went, and, and Bill Carson, when he was young, if you read his book, um, when he was young, he was a bad kid. He didn't do good in school. He almost killed his friend by being a cut up. Again, no kid wanted to be the dumb child. You'd rather be the bad child. And he was like, and he could not read and write. His mother did these things with him. She was a single mom. She was, uh, um, uh, she was left with, uh, she was left alone at 17, 18 with two children and unable to read. That got to be a hard situation. And still yet, by persistence, and, and she developed her children to become very brilliant. No matter where you are, you can achieve. Just get with the right people which is sometimes not the easiest thing to know if they're right or wrong or not if you don't know, but you get with the right people and perseverance. Hard work is not valued today, even amongst employees in very good jobs. It seems if you work really hard, you're like a sellout. Yo, man, why are you working so hard for these people? You know they don't care about you. Man, they don't pay me enough to do extra. Going the extra mile, you make yourself qualified, overqualified where you are, and money will follow you. If you make yourself overqualified, where you are, opportunity will follow you. You'll push yourself out of your present situations into a better one. So work hard, despite where you are now, try the very best you have at your level, and eventually that hard work will make you overqualified where you are, and the doors will open up for you. Whether you live in Brooklyn or around the world. There you go, no matter where you live. All right, thank you.